This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to first, or to, uh, not first, uh, to, to the one and only Isaiah and uh, chapter 58. It will be the first Isaiah 58 you'll find in the Bible. There. Yes, Isaiah 58. So we launched this year with a, with, with a new history. We're stepping into history, but we're also, we're also coming into this year with history, or as some of you call it, baggage. And so we, we come in with this knowledge of what we've gone through and the things that we've gone, uh, gone through in our lives and the way that God has moved in the past in our life. And we recognize that if we do the same thing that we've always done, we're going to get the same thing we've always got, right? Right? So if you, ju- if, you, if you want to lose a couple pounds, as many people do around this time of year, and you stand in front of the mirror, and you determine that you will not change one single thing, then you're going to be just as fat or fatter, right? Somebody told me you can't say fat, but I just said fat. Uh, you're going to be just as fat next time you stand in front of the mirror. You have to make a change, right? So, now don't get me started. I was just ready to go. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. And I'm asking him to make a change. Right? So, no, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, so, we're looking in Isaiah 58, and we, we, we're going to... See, in this history, I really believe that God gave me this verse for us to expound a little bit, to see exactly what it is that, that, uh, that we have for this year. So, looking at Isaiah 58, verse 6, and down through verse 12, I think it is. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loosen the chains of injustice? Oh, wait a minute, I, got, I forgot something. I started my message without, I had this little note here, and I folded it in half, and I thought, well, surely I'll see that note, but it was folded in half. I need to make an announcement. Uh, beginning next week, we will lock the doors uh, on that side, on the Grove side entrance, uh, right after worship starts, a couple, 10, 15 minutes after worship starts. So if you bring your kids in, uh, you should be able to look up and see uh, a red sign. It will tell you that's locked if you're coming in late. Not, not that you guys ever do that, but I mean, if you come in late and, and and you'll see that red sign. That means you've got to walk around. And the reason why we're doing that is, a security, uh, is for security purposes. We, we want uh, to not leave that side of the building vulnerable. So we've, we've set up security cameras and, and uh, you know, developed security protocol for that. But we want that anybody who would come in to, during a service to try to hurt our kids would have to come through us. Because anybody who wants to come hurt our kids, are going to have to come through us, and there's some mamas in here I wouldn't mess with, I'll be honest with you right now. That would scare off any, anybody. And so uh, ra- rather than leave one lone soldier over there as a, uh, as a security person, they've got to walk through all of us. So if you would be, I know that will irritate you. It doesn't irritate you now because you're not out in the cold in the middle of January going, wait a minute, uh, how come the door's locked? But now you know, okay? So... So if, you, if you're a little bit late, it's okay. We'll understand. We'd rather have you walk in and walk through here and, uh, and, and come through just so we can protect our kids. Amen? Yeah. 
Okay, so Isaiah 58, verse 6, do-over, ready? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, and with the finger pointing, and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. And the Lord will guide you always, and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. What a powerful passage of Scripture. In order for us to grab a hold of this, we've got to understand who Israel was in this, in this time. Israel, of course, was decided by God to be a chosen people, not because they were special, not because they even deserved it or anything like that, but because God wanted to demonstrate, as he often does, through, through uh, just any old body, a group of people, to choose those people to pour out his blessings so other people will come to that place and, and try to find it. In fact, Israel's supposed to be a place where the wisdom of God was revealed and where the love of God abided and where, where there was mercy and grace available and people would come and, and they would be able to be, feel tangibly the presence of God in, the, in, in mercy. Israel was supposed to be a place where the nations would look to Israel and say, what do they have over there that we don't have over here? And they were supposed to send emissaries to Israel and come back with the word of God to bring back to their people so that the whole world would be able to have this entirety of, this, of, of, of the fullness of God is, is a part of their embrace. And so they would, they would be the people who would be really uh, demonstrating that. In fact, always the people of God are supposed to be a people who have been assigned to be people of his presence wherever they go, whether that's Old Testament or New Testament. In Leviticus 19, he says, I have chosen you to be my treasured, treasured possessions, and you are a royal priesthood for me. That's what he said when he would call them, that they would be treasured possessions. In the New Testament, that's applied to the church as well. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people who belong to God. And so this has always been God's plan. But, but in Israel, he decided that he would do that. But, but one of the great things that happens in, in that is that we have the privilege, as the people of God, we have the privilege to be able to experience the love of God and to know the mercy of God and to, and to experience his wisdom. When, we're, when we get into places that are too complicated for us, we, we experience his wisdom. But the, the, the good thing here is that, that we have that. The bad thing is that what happens in every generation is people who come to know the Lord, people who come into relationship with God, soon begin to take that wisdom as only applying to themselves and that love and mercy only applying for themselves. And they, they create out of themselves a hypocrite, a person who doesn't want to apply that to other people. Israel was supposed to be exemplifying the wisdom of God. They were, supposed to, they were supposed to be a place where the presence of God lived. They were supposed to be a place where love abided. They were supposed to be a place where, where the homes, uh, for, a home for the homeless, a, a family for the family list. They were supposed to be a place that embraced all those in there. And, the, and people who operate in the love of God have that same embrace. But the constant in danger 
constant danger of people who know God is that they would fall into the trap of losing the freshness of that relationship with God. God warned the people of Israel from the very beginning, from the very beginning of their call. We can go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 4 where we see God warning them, you're going to do this and you're going you're to be my people, but you're going you're to eventually you're going to not obey my commands. You're gonna, and he warns them, be obedient to my commands. Do the things I tell you. Walk in my wisdom. Do these things. Don't fall prey to the idolatry of the people around you. Don't mark yourself by the way that people are around you. Rather, you be distinctive. You have a relationship with God. You live out your relationship with God. And if you do, people will come to you. But but, but what happens is we fall prey to the pressure, the peer pressure of the people around us. We fall prey to the people who, who are, are, are living all around us. And, the, and, and we fall prey, really, to our own temptations, things that we have been delivered of. It's interesting that Matthew uh, talked about the breaking off of the yoke and then how we sometimes re-embrace that yoke and fall back into that same slavery that we were once delivered from. So, so the people of Israel... In this moment, in Isaiah chapter 58, they find themselves in a place where they are, they've been disobedient, and they've, they've been, uh, they're under oppression. They're under foreign rulership. They have no freedoms. And so they determine that they will do something. They will go back to the Lord, as many of us sometimes do at the beginning of the year. We say, ah, oh, we commit ourselves to outward things, like I'm going to read the Bible more, or I'm going to really pray more, or I'm going to do those things. And maybe some of you already had those thoughts today. But God has more for us than those outward observances. God has more for us than just the, the exterior, the externals. And so Israel finds itself in this place where it's oppressed, and so now it has to find, find a way to, to um, reach out to God and, and find a way to get out from underneath this oppression. So what do they do? They, they begin with the outward, the religious rituals. And so they, 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 they start going to church, and then they... And then they do religious acts. They're, they're, they're fasting. In fact, in, in the first part of this chapter, chapter 1, or chapter 58, verse 1, it says, Shout it out loud. Do not hold it back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. So he, he, he announces that they are rebellious. And then he says this is what their rebellion looks like. Uh, day after day they seek me out. What? Were you awake there? The rebellion looks like they have prayer meetings. Day after day, they seek me out, and they seem eager to know my ways. That doesn't look like rebellion to me. But you see, it's all externals. As if they were a nation that does what's right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They, they ask me for just decisions, and they seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect to, to, your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only for a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So, Paul, so he, he, the, the, uh, the prophet is rebuking them because they're going, they, nothing's changed in their heart. Amen. So they're going through all, they have a wonderful church service. They're all fasting. They're all seeking the Lord. But nothing has changed on the inside of their heart. And so God says, 
this is the kind of fasting I want you to do. Now, I say that even though, you know, on Thursdays this month, we'll be fasting for breakthrough in our church, in your life, my life. So I encourage you to join me in fasting. But if all your fasting is, is skipping a meal, then you're, you're doing it wrong. You see, it's got to be something else. We have to be the man who stands in the mirror and determines, I will make a change. I will make a change. So this is what the fast of the Lord looks like, he says. It's to declare the wonders of God. It's, you know, it's to declare that, that the chains of injustice will be broken. There, this world is full of things that aren't right. This church is full of things that aren't right. That was a, you see how that was a big amen at the first one and it was a little amen at the second one. Right? It, was, it, always, it always happens. Predictable. To loose the chains of injustice. That means we have to determine ourselves, we have to point ourselves. If we're going to really honor God, we're going to determine ourselves to be free. And we're going to make sure that injustice doesn't happen here, and we're going to speak against it when it happens in our world. Whatever that looks like. We can look back and see that, that when, when our society valued every life, things were better. When our society uh, uh, worked for equality amongst people, Things were better. In our society, when politicians worked for the better of the country rather than for the soundbite that would be carried on the news, things were better. But all that is part of the injustice of the world that's around us. And so we have to speak up and say, that's not right. We have to be the voice that says that's not right. In fact, that's exactly what was, what was being asked of Israel at this point, is that their, their, their game would match their talk, that, they would, that what they were going to do, where they were going with it, it would, be, it would be fully committed, a full commitment from them. They, they were supposed to untie the cords of the yoke. In fact, later he says, they're supposed to break off every yoke. When people come in, remember the, remember the story of Lazarus? Uh, Lazarus is dead, four days dead, stinking dead. And now Jesus comes to the, to the tomb and he says, roll back the stone. They remove the stone. And then Jesus does what Jesus can do. He raises the dead. Jesus, Jesus, could, uh, Jesus could have rolled the stone back, right? Couldn't he? Right? And, then Jesus, and then he says, Lazarus, come forth. Ain't nobody in the whole place could say, Lazarus, come forth. But Jesus said that. A dead guy heard Jesus talk. That's interesting. And then Lazarus jumps up and comes out. He comes out, however, bound. Right? And then he says to his disciples and the people who are standing there, loose him. Now, Jesus could have loosed him, too. Now, we concentrate so much on what God can do. When somebody comes in and they're broken and they're separated from God, and then they find repentance, they come to, to Jesus, and they have that new experience that Ron was talking about, that where they're made brand new on the inside, their repentance brings them to total newness, they're set free. And then we say, man, that's great. Isn't that wonderful? And we say, have a great day. And they say, thanks. Right? They're still bound up. And they come in and out, hopping in and out, not literally, amongst us. And we wonder why they act the way they act. It's because the body of Christ needs to loose the ties that are on the yoke. 
And that's done by teaching, by mentoring, by just sharing, fellowshipping, Bible studies together. That's just done by connecting together and say, no, you don't have to do it like this. Do it this way. This is God's way. And so that's the way we, we, have, we have to work. We have to untie the yoke. We have to break off every bit of oppression. See, people come in spiritually oppressed, demonically oppressed, mentally oppressed. They come in with all kinds of stuff on them. And if they come in and they sing and then they pray and then they, they hear a, a, a wonderful sermon, stupendous sermon, amazing sermon, and then, and then they don't do anything with it because they're all messed up. They're under oppression. And the scripture says this is what fasting looks like. It's setting people free from yokes of bondage. It's, it's, it's breaking off yokes. Every yoke. Every yoke needs to be smashed off. And, and it's, it's setting people free and bringing them to the complete place of deliverance. It's sharing your food with the hungry. And I know we, we do that. We, we just ask for help unloading that, that truck. But... Um, and we could say, oh, you know, these uh, 11,000 people we fed last year, that's great. And that's, it, is, it is great. But is it enough? Is, is, is feeding 11,000 people enough when 12,000 people are hungry? You see? So we have to ask ourselves, are we, are we about the business of obedi being obedient to God and doing what he wants to do? Or do we just want to look religious? Do we just want to seem righteous? Are we sharing the food with the hungry? Are we providing wanderers with shelter? Are we working with shelters to keep people off the street? Are we turning the hearts of the fathers back to their children? Are we, well, are we bringing them to the place where they welcome their flesh and blood, where families are reunified, where marriages are healed? Are we doing those things? You say, well, why, why would we do that? I mean, just out of obedience to God, but, but why, would, why would we do that? Well, God always gives a promise whenever he gives an obligation. And I, I just want you to listen to the promise that he gives. I, I know I read it earlier, but I just want you to listen to the promise. It starts in verse 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the finger pointing and the malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy your, the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. And the Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwellings. This, this promise covers everything. Then your healing will come. Then your prayer will be answered. Then God will quickly bring the, then your, your righteousness will go before you wherever you go, and you won't have to worry about what's behind you because the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That you will be able to do the things you, all the answers for all the prayers and stuff that, that we desire, all the things that we, we long to be in the, in the house of the Lord, these things are all wrapped up in this verse. And I believe that when we were praying about this, God said, here's your assignment. Be this people. This yoke-breaking, oppression-breaking people. 
lay hands on the sick, drive out demons, do the things that God wants you to do, set people free, feed the hungry, find shelter for the, for the needy and the wanderer, do, do the things that God has called you to do, and then he said, and then this will happen. This will happen. You'll, you'll find freedom. You'll find answers to prayer. You'll find healing. You'll, God will go before you, and, and, and you, he, will, he will be your rear guard as well. So if, if we recognize that, that the promise of this is so great, and I understand that we've been kept pressed down. There are things that have kept us pressed down into the ash heap. Things that have kept us trapped down in the ashes where we haven't been able to rise up and be the people that we've been called to be. Some of it's just flat disobedience. Some of it's just laziness. Some of it, some of it is just, it's just, um, um, just not being ignorant, not being taught. But the, whatever the purpose of it, it's kept us down. But it's time for our light to break forth like the dawn. It's time for us to rise and be a light in the darkness. You see, whenever, if, if this place was pitch black in here, and you couldn't see anything in here, and someone lit a candle, every single person's eyes would turn to that candle. Why? Because the light always draws your attention when you're in the darkness. It always does. And so imagine yourself, imagine yourself being in that place where, where, where you're, you are the light. Where people will look, you know, when, when we go camp and we're sitting in the darkness, we have the, the glory of God above us. You know, we're, see, we're sitting out there and underneath the, the lesser lights of the, of the stars of the sky. But when somebody lights a campfire, everybody sits around the campfire and stares at the campfire. Right? It's the weirdest thing you ever saw. People just sit, people who have never been by a campfire will sit in a circle around the campfire and stare at the fire. And after you've been around the fire for, I don't know, 45 minutes, it pretty much looks the same as it has all this time. But you stare at the light. Why? Because the light draws your attention. How can we reach the world around us? Well, we can start off with all kinds of initiatives and works and, and programs and stuff, or we could just be the light. If we're, just the, if we're just the light, the fire burning, if we're on fire for God and we're just the genuine deal, we're the real thing, we're, we're feeding the poor, and then God will raise us up out of the ash heap that we've been found in. And he will lift us up and we will be rising. But we can't allow the things that have held us back to continue to hold us back anymore. And I don't know what it is for you, and I'm too embarrassed to tell you what it is for me. But we have to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. And anything less than that is some kind of religious subterfuge of God's rule over our life. It is some kind of a, a passive-aggressive disobedience to God. I mean, that's just the truth, right? So here what I'm trying to say to you is that we've got to move beyond that stuff and bring ourselves to the place where we just want to be the real deal. We'll, we will do it. We'll do it well, but we won't do it perfectly, right? Because we're not perfect people. We're broken people. But we'll get back up and we'll rise back up and we'll go do what God has called us to do because God wants to raise the church. He wants to raise the church. This is the year for us to rise up. This is the year 
to rise up even in the middle of darkness. This is the year to put off all that other stuff that has held us back and to rise up. This is the year where we should be rising. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.